This is a podcast by The Straits Times. In December 2001, members of the terrorist organization Jamaa Islamia were arrested after they plotted multiple attacks against targets in Singapore. The Straits Times interviewed former JI members who were picked up for their involvement in the planned terrorist attacks. Today, they have been rehabilitated back into society. This is the first time they have shared with the media about their past extremism and what it was like to be a member of a group that wanted to commit mass murder and destroy key installations here. We also spoke to officers from the Internal Security Department about what it was like to dismantle the biggest terror threat Singapore has ever faced. It was during the early 80s where we came to know from a so-called Ustad who travels from Malaysia to Singapore. And from there on what we were discussing about religious matters. And eventually the teaching of Islam was highlighted during the discussions. And gradually it progresses to the Sharia laws, the caliphates and all. And from that onward, we sort of got interested on that. I myself personally and a few of the other guys, uh, eventually we joined. And we took a pledge of allegiance. We call it the Bayah in Islam. And we followed them through. Walking the path of radicalization also meant that some of the JI members had to go overseas for weapons training. During the mid-90s, I was given an opportunity to travel to Philippines because of my short of leave. I myself am so I can't be able to have a long leave. So they had this a crash course, crash course in Mindanao. It's a two-week course, and the traveling is about one month. One week to travel to the camp, and one week to travel back to Singapore. So during that two weeks training, we did some weapons handling, namely the M16, AK-47, and we did uh, handle the pistol called Garen, and we learned explosive handlings assembling and also we had opportunity to do a sentry training and we are uh, to stand guard facing the military I mean Philippine armies at one point. It depends on what they assign me to okay? because uh, to me uh, according to the order submit now what listen and obey. So whatever instruction they gave me I will obey as long as it's not against uh, the Quran and the Sunnah. So if they ask me to become a trainer, then I'll train our men. Uh, and uh, train our men in, in uh, a lot of things. Uh, especially you know, to prepare them. We want to go to Afghanistan, so we can cut short. Previously, they, you know, when you go to Afghanistan, you have to spend at least six months there. Uh, six months over there to be trained and also to uh, be involved uh, with the war there. So we want to cut short because uh, because six months is a, quite a long time. The horrific September 11th attacks in the US provided a boost to J.I. here. 
for us it is a victory for the struggle namely we were in favor of the al qaeda at that moment and when we heard of this we were quite excited and happy for them that they had achieved something good on their part yet before 9/11 unknown to the authorities deadly attacks in singapore were already being plotted targets were being identified reconnaissance was done and links with foreign terrorists were established uh, we shortlisted a few places namely the us embassy and the american club uh, and this uh what about this the us naval base in sembawang also the the residence of uh, us personnel military personnel yeah. also the eagles club also at sembawang there and we also find out that uh, we found out that there, there are many many us military personnel uh, from the residence area uh, go down to the bus go down to you know go shopping at this uh, uh, north point north point so the bus will alight them at the pickup and pickup point near the Yishun MRT station so we followed the bus we followed the bus and see where it goes on the route of the bus itself so then we decided that is a is a good potential target other than the other than the, the what called the american interest so after deciding that we make a recce yeah. observe and recce the area took some videos decided to uh to have this pickup point near the mati station uh to be a potential place for us to put the place uh, explosive device uh, so that when whenever the US military personnel was lining up there waiting for the bus waiting to board the bus we can uh, remotely blast the explosive we can uh, you know kill or, or, or injure as many as possible they say in Indonesia to have a certain targets in Singapore mainly about America or Israel embassy and ask me to gather some trustworthy guys lah brothers to do the job so the main thing is uh, to select the targets and then to get a place to store the materials to make the bombs because we are not expert in making the bombs so there will be people coming in from overseas to prepare the bomb they will leave then there will be suicide bombers becoming and we have to our job is to make them familiar with the landscape of the area and we will leave this is a general plan i think we will leave then they will start the so because usually we will not start target one so at the same time we will hit about four or five targets this is the way this is our way yeah thanks to a tip off from an alert singaporean just after 9/11 The internal security department switched into high gear and started tracking the associates of one Singaporean named Muhammad Azlam Ya Ali Khan who had ties to al-Qaeda. Our officers went to the ground to engage the people, talk to them, firstly to address any concerns they had, 
Secondly, to appeal to them to be vigilant on the ground and to see if they have come across any information linked or related to the 9-11 attacks. So, it's through this such engagement that we first came across the first information, which was a man named Aslam, Mohan Aslam, has claimed that he was, uh, he knows Osama bin Laden, and he has gone, he has fought against the Soviets in Afghanistan. At the time, we did not know the existence of GI. So we were not sure what to make of this information. Right? So it's quite challenging. But we, we persevered. We drilled into the details. We started watching Aslam and his group of friends very closely. We had, you know, stumbled onto something big. And specifically, we had to race against the clock to stop potential attacks from happening on Singapore soil. So there was just a lot of shock and disbelief, but there was no time for it, right? Because we had to quickly get down to organize ourselves so as to make sense of the massive amount of information that was generated because we hold up the associates of Aslam. We were very concerned about the tip-off. We in fact, we were shocked, but we were concerned too because it came soon after September 11. So when our news about Aslam being arrested in Afghanistan uh, was published in the media, so we know that uh, we don't have, we cannot wait any longer. We got to move in because otherwise his associates all will go underground or they will flee the country. So uh, we decided to move. Our key objective in the initial phase was very, very clear. To find where the bomb is and to stop the bomb from going off in Singapore. That was our key objective. All our resources, all our efforts were directed at that. We don't want an attack to happen in Singapore. We just can't afford to have that. It was an operation unlike anything the ISD had ever taken on. And the officers found themselves putting in long hours to dismantle the terror threat. We work very long hours, very long hours, and we work in shifts, right? Uh, even when I, when I mention that we work in shifts, doesn't mean that you work 24 hours and you go back. Uh, I recall that uh, in the first few days, I worked for several days without any sleep until, uh, you know, somebody remind you, hey, have you had any sleep? Then I say, yeah, yeah, I've been working for the last three days. Huh? So they say, no, 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 my boss was telling me, you, now you go back, you have your sleep, come back tomorrow. The situation then was very intense for us, you know. We are fighting against time. We are fighting against uh, uh, the risk of an explosion in Singapore. So that was at the back of our mind. And that probably kept us moving and not realizing, not realizing that actually the days have changed. The time has gone all, you know, on for, for, for a while. We had a lot of challenging times, voluminous information to look at, and uh, that was a real challenge during our investigation. And eventually, as we moved on, we understood that JI as a structure, they have, uh, they have cells, and the cells have different taskings, and that's how we, we have a better understanding of JI. And that's one of the reasons why we were able to expand our way of arrest.
So we did our first, first wave of arrest in uh, December 2001. Then we another wave of arrest in August 2002. So this brings up, by and large, the whole group, apart from the fugitives. Mm. But the work did not stop with the arrests. The detainees went through extensive rehabilitation and say that the way they were treated helped them realize how misguided they were. The thing that changed my mind totally is about the arrest. Because I was all the while thinking that I'll be tortured, I'll be mistreated, I wouldn't be able to get any freedoms on things. But it's all the opposite. I get a family visit every week. My wife and my children came to visit me every week. And I feel bad for them. I requested to the officers to make a request that they can come every two weeks once. So yeah, I don't want to make them in a difficult situation. So. It was not an easy process because the first few occasions when the religious teacher met the detainee, uh, some of them were very hostile. Some of the detainees were very hostile and they wouldn't abuse the religious teacher as a government hostas huh? and call them names. So despite all these uh, abuses, the religious teachers persevered because, as I said earlier, they felt it is their duty to correct the mistake of a fellow Muslim. During, during the detention, my uh, detention period, we were, I have a lot of time for reflecting on what I did and uh, a lot of regrets. And uh, the case officers, they helped me on this, bringing the psychologists. Sometimes when you, you realize you, you did the wrong thing, it will affect your psychology. It will affect how you think. So we were given some counseling by the, by the psychologists, also by the Ustads. And at the same time, they, 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 they also try to rehabilitate me in while I was in other detention. So I understand that this is my responsibility as a true Muslim to come forward and make things right for what I did before. And for me, myself, looking back, which is something that I regret, and of course, myself now, <clears throat> I'm an old man in my 60s, and coming forward here to present myself during this interview, I don't see something that I can be proud of, where I can share with my children, my grandchildren, and of course they can pass it down to the us one day. But I want it to be a part of my responsibility to myself personally and to my family and to the society itself. Hopefully this can be a lesson to everybody that to keep in mind that this is real and you have to be cautious on that. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg.
You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.